This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to Better Relationships, Better Life, where relationships expert Judy K. Herman and her guests share insights that can help you move through conflicts in your 9-to-5 jobs and your 24-7 lives. Crack the clarity code and create deeper connections beyond the messiness of relationships. Here's your host, Judy K. Herman. This is part two of my conversation with Mark Lukacs. He is the author of the International best-selling memoir, My Lovely Wife in a Psych Ward. If you haven't yet, make sure you go back to the previous episode as we talk about the caregiving season of Mark and Julia's young marriage. For this episode, Severe Mental Illness and the Partnered Marriage, we talk through how to maintain a sense of family when you know that crisis and trauma might be on a loop cycle. Mark's freelance writing has been published in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Pacific Standard, Wired, and other publications. But more than anything, it's Mark's book that had a huge impact for me personally. Here's part two. Let's listen in. It was all going so well, you Mm, know? mm -hmm. And like, of course, she didn't do it by choice. And of course, she wouldn't have wanted this to happen. And yet, irrationally enough, like, you kind of blame someone, you know, let me, let me ask, because in between the episodes, Mark, yeah. uh, how, how much did Julia, um, how, and she's not here. I wish she were here with you. So she could I know, answer. I wish. It's, <laughs> unfortunately, it's really hard for us to figure oh. out because we're both two working parents of two kids. And so yeah, yeah. Oh, I get that. both of us is really, well, tricky. she'll watch the recording to make sure you said the right thing. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. but I, do want, I want you to answer for her because I'm curious, how much was her insight? How much insight did she have over her episodes and the effects that it had on you and on the family? Oh, uh, that's a great question. So the first episode, none at all, because mm. I completely hid that from her. Mm. And it was only, it was after episode one that I started writing. Mm. And to be honest, I started writing to help me make sense. But I also started writing because that became the form of communication where Julia could hear what I was saying. Cause like she was better. And meanwhile, I, who had been holding it together for 10 months, I finally kind of fell apart myself. Right. Yeah. And she started to have this attitude towards me, which was like, Hey man, I'm better. Like, what's the problem? Why are you being yeah. on her? Like, let's, let's go back to having fun. And I'm like, no, no, no you don't get it. You are better. So now I can be, uh, I can show the cracks in my armor that I've been barely holding together for the yeah. last, months, you know? And so like, we were, we were having such a hard time communicating that it turned out that like, I found that by writing, I was able to like, I have this, this thinking that like, when you speak, it's kind of like the rough draft of your thoughts and they don't mm-hmm. always come out as you want them. Yeah. When you write, you get to like rephrase and edit. And so if I was writing something, it would make, I was sure that what I was saying is what I wanted and intended to say. Yeah. And then when I would give it to Julia, like where I was processing some part that I had gone through, 
she would read it and it was like, oh, she would read it when she was prepared to read it rather wow. than just like I blurted it out the dinner table. And so that actually became really, really important for us because I, I did feel so much like 99.9% of our life was Julia's illness. Yeah. Point yeah. 0.1% was me. And that's just not like relationships can't sustain that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. And so I had to like make sure that she was understanding that like, yes, it was nice that our parents were offering help, but like the help kind of felt oppressive to me. Yeah. And then, like, I know I had to make some of these choices, but like, it was because I was afraid for your life and your safety. And like, yeah, yeah. that's a, you, you need to understand that's what was driving where I was coming from. And so, um, you asked like, what was her awareness of it? It was none. And I think well, it was also- and I, I actually want to hold that too, because it wasn't until my husband's second yeah. psychosis that I came across a term and you'd think I would have known it as a mental health therapist. Um, it's called anisognosia. Uh-huh. And that I is this term. Okay. And and I came across Dr. Amador's book, and it's it's called I Don't I'm Not Sick and I Don't Need Help. But uh-huh. people who have schizophrenia, or um, I think it's 40, 50% of people who have schizophrenia, 40% of people who have bipolar disorder have anisognosia, which is actually a condition in the brain which makes it impossible for them to have the insight connect those dots. Huh. from the past to the present. Huh. I read your book and I read Dr. Amador's book back to back and it made a lot of sense. It helped me to have some more compassion for him that I wouldn't otherwise have. Right. So, uh, but I had well, no here's idea. Here's what I would say, term. based on what you're describing that condition, I actually think what Julia was in was not, I don't, I don't think Julia experiences that. I think what she was was in a state of denial. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, and obviously that's her mind, you know, obviously it's been broken. If you wrote the book and she's read it and she said, okay, honey. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so I think after the first episode, it was like shame and denial. Like I'm not a sick person. Mm -hmm. And I think that what happened during episode two for her and for us was that we had to accept that this in fact was not something that would just go away it was in fact going to be part of our lives. And so we had to make peace with that and plan for the future, but also like know how to support what her experience of her mental illness felt like. And also what my experience of her mental illness felt like. And so like in this, in this kind of bizarre way, like the second episode, which was, like I said, we had a baby. So it was like significantly more uh, challenging. Wow. I actually think that that led to a lot more meaningful healing in our relationship to each other. You know, yeah. I mean, if that I said just happened once, we probably would have like talked about it to extent, but then like sort of buried away in the past and, and not wanted to poke the bear anymore, you know, uh-huh. but because then it happened again, it's like, Oh, we, we got to look this beast right in the face yeah. and deal with what we're dealing with. Let me, Uh, let me ask Mark, was there any kind of preparation that this could like after that first episode that you went through, did the doctors or anybody talk with you that there's a good possibility it's going to happen again? You know, they did throughout the stat that 90% of people who experience psychosis experience it again. So like Mm -hmm. we knew that, Mm -hmm. but Julie and I, I think we kept reverting to the hope that we were going to be the 10%. So it wasn't going to be. Yeah. And 
I mean, they never promised anything because that would, you know, obviously they didn't, but they were always cautious. But like, like when Julia got pregnant with our oldest, um, it was like full medical team support around that. You know, wow. this wasn't just like willy nilly. It was like yeah. very intentional and thought through. And then again, like very lots of check-ins with your psychiatrist at that time. And so I, I, I would say that there was a lot of hope that maybe this would be a one-off thing because mm. out of her first episode, they were calling it depression with psychotic features, which mm. felt to me like a fancy medical label for like, a one-off really, really bad thing yeah. that hopefully won't come back again. It's, and especially no. if you had no family history of this, no family. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing. fact that it came on in her late twenties, there's no family history. Like there was a lot of missing puzzle pieces that would have made her diagnosis a lot easier to just like label, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now during episode two, it was a whole different ball game. During episode yeah. two, they were like, oh, well, no wonder lithium worked before. We shouldn't have taken her off lithium. We should have kept her on lithium mm. uh, because we now think she's bipolar, you know? And so it's not about taking the antidepressant. It's about taking uh, the lithium. And that did turn out to be like a really important stabilizing medication for her that she still is on today. I gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So she went through the first episode ha and then had the second one, which was worse for you because you had a little baby to take care of. And then you yeah. did say that she had a third one. She did. So the the years are 2009, 2012, and then it was 2014 that she had her third one where wow. the baby was now two and a half. But like what felt so different about the third one is that we'd actually kind of planned for it. Uh -huh. Like now that we had lost the illusion that this would never happen again, it's like, okay, we got to figure out some logistics. If uh -huh. you're working, what's going to happen with work? Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do about the baby? What are we going to do about the grandmas, my mom and Julia's mom, who want to come in and be part of the solution? But, you know, sometimes I wasn't always like, didn't necessarily always want that. You know, well, I tell you what, when you've got extended family members and this much severity of illness going on and uh, that's that's tough. I mean, I'm, it is. I'm, it's complicated. I mean, it's all on the foundation of love and like yes. good intention, but everyone's processing, interpreting this in their own way. And then it, it does, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, you know, yeah, yeah. which can make it challenging sometimes to navigate, you know? Yeah. And I don't say this at all to like invalidate or discredit the efforts that our families put in to support us, but just that like, you know, sometimes what I actually needed was space. Absolutely. And, and so there was all those logistics that we had kind of, managed but after her second episode we had talked through a lot of this stuff and it's by the way it's after the second episode that my writing became a lot more public like I had it was after the first episode that Julie and I said hey if we share this story we might be able to help people who are feeling alone from my perspective or help people who have gotten really sick and maybe feel a lot of shame about it like Julia was experiencing uh-huh but it was after the second episode that I think the message we had to say became a lot more, honestly, it just felt more meaning, like valuable. Like yeah. the first one was like, wow, there was this terrible thing. Holy cow. Yeah. But then it became like, wow, we have, we have crisis and trauma that repeats in our life. How do you maintain a sense of family mm. 
even when you know that crisis and trauma might be on a loop cycle. Wow. And that I think is what we tried to learn. And ultimately what I hope the message comes out of the book, you know? Yes. Yeah. So that third episode was less severe then? You know, I wouldn't say it was any less severe, just the difference is that I think we handled it better. Wow. It's not like, again, it's not like she was any less psychotic. She was still deeply psychotic. Wow. And actually we kept her at home a lot longer because we thought we could, Uh but um, it was still pretty rough. It's just that, as she said, she was less afraid of what it meant to go through Mm. this experience. Wow. Yeah. Cause you're kind of used to it, but yeah, you don't want to be used to something like this. <laughs> yeah. And also I felt like I had learned better how to actually be her advocate and how to actually listen to her uh-huh. and not assume that because I was married to her, I knew what was best for her, but actually yeah. like how to let Julia speak for herself in her, wow. you know? Wow. <clears throat> so I'd say that was important as well. I want to read a part, and I think it's going to help listeners too. There's a part of my book because I give some statistics about, you know, the likelihood of your marriage lasting is very slim, right? And, or anybody that's going through this, this kind of thing, but I, the love you have and, and the bond is, is amazing. It's like so touching Mark, but this to me describes you and Julia, those who live with a delicacy and the fierceness of mental illness need fortress strength in their partnership with each other. It's absolutely essential to have community support and compliance to treatment. Otherwise, the non-ill spouse's health, health is at stake. But you I definitely, you know, that's like you and Julia, you've learned to be partners. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. And Judy, I want to put an important caveat on what you're saying because I would say a big fear that I have in sharing our story is that we've sort of set it up that if you don't stay together, you are somehow failing. And I don't agree Mm. with that at all. I think there was, despite how hard our circumstances were, we were still really fortunate. Like Mm -hmm. we had insurance. This didn't ruin us financially. Mm -hmm. We, um, Julia was a pretty compliant patient. Wow. which not all patients are. And yeah, Julia I, get that. I, I know that up close and personal. <laughs> and Julia has ultimately found a treatment plan and treatment lifestyle that has helped her stay balanced yeah. since 2014. Wow. And I also know that like, that's for really, really, really big conditions. Yeah, that doesn't happen to everybody, you know. Yes, and I think that without those, if 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 I was sitting here at the at the other side of episode twelve, we'd be having a much different conversation, yeah. you know. But yeah. instead, I'm sitting here eight years removed from mm. Julia's last psychotic episode, and That's- so, and, and and so I don't like in any way set it up that like if you don't stay together, you've like failed or abandoned someone at all like people do need to take care of themselves and like you put it like the health of the of the non-ill person is in fact at stake and and that is that has to be taken seriously yeah yeah Yeah. well i i think it's remarkable here you wrote this book 
And Julia, I mean, for for a woman to say, okay, honey, you can go ahead and put this as a title, yeah. my lovely wife in the psych ward, yeah. that takes a tremendous amount of character on her part. I agree. Like, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, no, Julia is pretty incredible because she, I mean, as as she always says, if you Google me, I'm like the author and the husband who stood by his wife and it's kind of more favorable, you know? yeah. If you Google her, she's the psychotic patient, oh, you know? Bless her. And so there's like so much vulnerability and courage for her to be willing to do that. And I think the reason she wants to is because she does see that both of us, like she, it's clear to her that like my experience can speak to the underexplored suffering of caregiving, right? Yeah. And like, she gets that. But she also, I think she holds herself as, when let, let me back up when she was going through her recovery she found what she considered recovery role models right mm, people mm -hmm. who had been sick but found a way to still be successful in their lives yeah and whatever that success looked like whether it was through relationship career a combination of both and so i think that julia wants hopes that she can be considered like a quote unquote success story of someone who has been hospitalized and has felt intense suicidal feelings. And yet now she's a mother of two. She's still in a relationship. She's in a, like, she's back in a high stress job and can still like go through that. And like, so hopefully she can give hope to people. And I know that's why, I mean, it's funny. She's actually like, I've given up on social media, but she's still <laughs> active on social media. And I know it's because she likes to connect with people yeah, and, and help support them through their experiences rather than just like kind of keep this to herself and said she wants to share it to help others out. Well, actually, and that was one of my questions because one of my questions was, even though she's not here, what advice does Julia share with others who have a mental illness? I think for her, you know, the part of her journey that she's, I've seen her reflect on the most is the, is the path to accepting that she mm. in fact has this condition. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an easy path. And like I said, there was a lot of denial, a lot of shame. <clears throat> and um, I think that has probably been the single most important place she's gotten to. Wow. Um, is like knowing that, yes, yeah, she has bipolar disorder. No, that is not all that she is. That is a part of her. Mm -hmm. It's also not a part of her that is purely negative. It's not mm -hmm. a part of her that has only brought pain, but it's a part of her that she has learned a lot from, you know? Yeah. And so I think that for people who are facing their own mental health crises, it's like making space for that to not bury that. Um, and also not let that be the only thing that defines you. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then how it has defined your marriage. I mean, after that first episode, it's kind of like I'm hearing, oh, you think things will go back to the way they were, but they never yeah. go back to the way they no, were. They never do. And and it is a different marriage than what you imagined. So um, maybe you can share how even like writing the book and going through all of this, I know you have a deep love. I mean, a deep, deep love for each other. It's it's yeah. amazing the bond that you two have. And and how has just this whole process changed you as a husband? changed the marriage, changed you as a dad. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that writing the book was really, really uh, important for our marriage. Mm. You know, um, as I was sort of talking about earlier, like writing became our venue to process this, mm. for me to write about my experience and Julia to read it. And then for her to ask questions and then me to answer those questions, you know? Wow. And so like, I think that it made us process together stuff that we might've otherwise wanted to left on, you know, yeah. board. And in doing so, I think it gave us tremendous greater empathy for each other, mm. right? Mm. Like our capacity to hear each other and make space for each other's experiences was like increased tenfold by going yeah. through sitting down and doing this together, you know? Cause like, so like the way we went about it is when we finally made the decision, like, Hey, let's try to turn this into a book. It was like, I would write a chapter and it would, you know, I was mostly doing it at night after school, after the kid was, uh, after Jonas was asleep. And then it was like, I'd work for a few hours and it maybe take like a week to write it and edit and stuff. And then I'd send it to Julia and she would read it. And then we'd talk about it over the course of a week. And then it would wow. be like, okay, here's the next chapter. I'm going to work on this. And then you're going to read it. And then we talk about it, you know, and that was kind of the, the pattern we went through. And it was, you know, it was, it was therapeutic. And when I say therapeutic and I put air quotes, like people often think that means that like you're wrapped in warm blankets and you're petting puppies and it's like soft, <laughs> but it's like actually therapy is also like ripping your guts out. You know what it I mean? Is. It is. And, and writing so, is, is a great, I mean, you writing is so very. We had important. to go through the ripping our guts out part yeah. and we went through it together, but it left us feeling like if nothing else, I felt heard and seen in a way wow. that I don't know if I ever had. And that was what I was missing most. Yeah. It's just like, hey, do you you remember that this was really hard for me too? You wow. Know? And then I think in doing so by making the adjustments based on what Julia's input was, I think she also felt really felt and seen, you know? Yes. And so the ultimate product that we ended up putting out there is something that we're both very proud of. And it both it does feel very collaborative like it, it's clear I wrote it you know yeah, but it's yeah. also clear like we tend to use the pronoun of our book rather than it being like my book yes I mean? yeah yeah are you surprised Mark at the impact of your book yeah I am I mean well I am and I'm not and the reason I'm not is because I wrote a column in the modern love like in, in modern love in the New York Times and that really shocked me, the surprise, wow. the, the impact, because that was like, I got so many emails from people being like, oh my God, someone is finally telling my side of the story. Wow. You know? And so I knew that there was an audience for this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to land, you know, Harper Collins, which is like wow. for a high school history teacher is a pretty pretty legit publisher that's you know amazing I mean? it was you... amazing and so like and they were really pumping it up and I think that they you know they were hopeful but still like I I, I am perpetually humbled when like mm. I hear that people have found my book when they needed it because honestly like if that happened to one person if I had like self-published this as an ebook and one person found it I would have found like thank god that's one yeah. person doesn't feel to feel as alone yeah. But because I think of where the conversation was back in 2009, and then ultimately I got the book deal in 2014 and having it published in 2017, like I, I, there wasn't quite, there was this void of the, of the, of the, 
perspectives on it. And so it has been better received than I think I ever could have imagined. You that, know? It's, it's amazing. I know. Yeah, and that's like really, you know, I feel, I feel really weird about that, Judy, to be honest, because like, I do get a lot of emails and I, um, I'm like, I don't know. I feel humbled and also like really responsible about that, you know? Gotcha. And, and then I also am really bad about engaging with those emails because they're often so heavy and yeah, serious. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. And, and I recognize that like one of the things I learned is that I do need to take care of myself and set my yes. boundaries, right? And so yes. like- my heart goes out to people who feel like, oh, wow, this is happening to my family. And I wish that I could like drive to their house and be with them for four hours and like just be a, a, a an empathetic listener. But then I'm also like, and I also have to put two kids to bedtime and like do yeah. my job. You know what I mean? Well, I'm, and I'm so it becomes this really weird, like it feels a little selfish to be taking care of myself because I do want to be someone who can help others. But then I recognize, like by writing this, I think I helped others. You know? I wanted to. I want to tell folks too. You, you are never selfish to take care of yourself. Right, right. You are God's gift on this planet, and nobody can do for you what only you can do for you to take care of yeah, yourself. Exactly. So I just agree with that and, and there's I know there's a lot of caregivers that give 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 give, and that will make you sick if you're not taking care of yourself. So definitely take care of yourself. So right. I, I appreciate you bringing this up, right. Mark. It's been amazing to talk with you. I, I've got actually a couple more questions if you can hang with me here. Sure. So so what would you tell your 27-year-old self now? Yeah, I would, I mean, there's the like granular stuff of like learn about mental illness, right? Like <laughs> don't be so ridiculously ignorant about such an important topic. But I think, <clears throat> I think the bigger thing that it's, I think it's similar to Julia. Like acceptance you know mm -hmm. that like people are not who you think they are you how you manifest them in your fantasies but they are who they are yeah and I think as much as I was in love with the real person of Julia I think I was also in love with the image of Julia that I would sort of concoct out of our interactions right yeah i hope that so, you're gonna give i hope you're gonna give this 27 year old plenty of grace and say hey buddy you did the best you could do yeah i would <laughs> i mean i am i i will say i am proud like i do feel like i i fought for my family and i think you i did. i think i gave it my all you know yeah and i would also say that like what i've learned in my middle age now is like you know Except, yeah, struggle is real. It's okay. Yeah. It's no one's fault. And you can make it through together. Just like hang on and be patient. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So, and, and good for you though, to just back off and give you permission not to answer emails, not to even read some emails that are going to bring you down. Okay. So No, I, I think it's important. I think it's important. And I do read all the emails and I, and I respond if it catches me in the right moment, but it's often where I'm just like, you know what? I, I, I wanna give two hours of my time to respond to stuff in a meaningful way. And I, I don't always make that time. So that's- Well, I tell you what, so. you need to hire yourself a, a therapist to come along. <laughs> <laughs> 
Speaking of, did you all get therapy? Did you get therapy or was the writing of the book mainly your therapy? As no, I had there. I went to a therapist once a week for three years. But did you go together? We went to group therapy and I think we, I think we, it, it wasn't as great for us. Yeah, yeah. Only because we were still just having the same fights. Yeah, yeah. And I think the writing became the therapy because it allowed the tone of the conversation to be different. Yeah. And we weren't behaving ourselves in therapy. We were still fighting like cats and dogs. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so the book was the way that for us to be like, hey, just yelling at each other isn't working. And like, yeah. let's have some gentleness as we approach each other. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your heart. Like I just again You're welcome. Like- thank you, Judy, for for having me on. And I like I said, I really admire that like you keep pushing because I think I did sort of reach <clears throat> a point of I need to rein it in and also not make my entire life about being a caregiver right yeah you know I mean there's been you know? evolution for all of us and and uh, I will tell you this with the episodes that my husband had gone through and that what our marriage suffered there were some major transitions. I could no longer be in a group practice and, and deal with certain cases. And then, so it's kind of like every, every point there has been a transition for right. me and knowing that, you know, I got to take care of myself as well. Right. So, um, right. so it's not like I'm, I'm doing what flows these days, Mark, I'm doing what That's flows great. and, and knowing that the pain, I think you'll understand this. I think a lot of folks will that the pain you go through is never wasted. God never yes. wastes any of our pain and there's purpose to it. And obviously there's such purpose in, in this beautiful, you know, memoir that you wrote and it touches so many hearts. And so I, I do want to encourage folks to get it, but thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, yeah, you're doing a great job. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you making the time to chat. And give Julia my love. Okay. I will. I will. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks, Judy. Have a good one. All right. I really appreciate Mark's vulnerability in this interview, how he fears their story would affect others who couldn't stay together. I want to remind some that need to hear this. You're not a failure, nor did you abandon your loved one if you needed to leave. Your well-being is absolutely necessary, and as Mark said, must be taken seriously. For those of us who are natural caregivers, my message to you is your self-care is not selfish. How do you maintain a sense of family when you know that crisis and trauma might be on a loop cycle? Here's some takeaways in order to have fortress strength in partnership with one who struggles with severe mental illness. Number one, together, embracing and accepting the reality of the illness. Number two, compliance to treatment. And three, lifestyle changes, insurance, and a strong support system are so necessary. You are not alone. Check out Mark's website, marklukach.com. And for more support, counseling or coaching, please get in touch with me through my website, judycounselor.com. What resonated with you? Be assured that I read every comment from those who share their takeaways by filling out the form on the website, betterrelationshipsbetterlife.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Next week, 
We'll talk more about relationships when it comes to caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's. In the meantime, please share, subscribe, rate, and comment in the streaming platform of your choice. See you next time on Better Relationships, Better Life.